Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Today on CityCast Portland, we're talking about Multnomah County Chair Jessica Vega-Peterson's stern warning to our struggling and underperforming ambulance service, Portland Public Schools agreeing to sell its headquarters to the Albina Vision Trust, and former Mayor Sam Adams attempting to make yet another political comeback. Joining me on this week's Friday News Roundup are KBU News Director and host of the weekly talk show The Gap, Althea Billings, and our very own executive producer, John Atariani. It's Friday, February 23rd. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. Welcome, everyone, to the Friday News Roundup. Althea, John, so nice to have you both here. Hey, how's it going? Hey, good morning. That's the correct response. <laughs> if you're new to the show, today's the day we break down some of the biggest local stories of the week with some of the best and brightest journalists in town. But before we jump into the news, you know, I like to ask all of our guests an opening question to get us started. And today we actually got one submitted by a listener. Hey, Ooh. cool. Mel Ortiz, thank you so much for reaching out, giving us your question. So are you guys ready? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, hit me. What is your favorite karaoke spot in Portland? And what is your go-to song? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I am already deeply on the record with this, that my favorite karaoke spot is the alibi. Mm -hmm. And I would be hard-pressed to hear an argument for why that isn't the best karaoke spot in Portland, hands down. Uh, I love the alibi. And I would say that my go-to karaoke song is going to be Modern Love by David Bowie. Ooh. That's a good one. You heard me do that before, Claudia. I heard you do David Bowie. Bowie, but it wasn't Modern Love. Oh. It was like, dun, dun, I'm an alligator. Oh, that's dun, right. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, damn, you can go high. Keep going. No, no, no. Keep going. You want me to keep going? <laughs> I'm just like, um, yeah, I heard you do that and you were great. So I can oh. only imagine that your Modern Love is amazing. Nice. Oh, what about you, Althea? I mean, the alibi is a classic. I also sometimes enjoy when you go to a bar that's not advertised as a karaoke bar and they're just doing karaoke. Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, there was one that I frequented in college that he just would Google YouTube, like karaoke, whatever song you wanted to do and put that up on the projector and run with it, which is an interesting way of doing it. I was at um, Chopsticks a couple months ago and there was a conga line through the full bar. <laughs> Oh, of like yeah. 20 people at midnight. And <laughs> what was the song? It might have been like uh, Kesha or Pitbull or something that doesn't have a lot of words, but it has a lot of music. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I think they they made their way outside, like around the pool table. Oh in fact, God, it was wild. It. And what was what was your go to song? Karma Chameleon is, uh, oh, is my one. Yeah, uh, nice. You Come and Go famously. So nice. What about you, Claudia? You know, I'm kind of a shy guy. And so I actually do have a, a kind of argument against your spot, just because if you don't want everyone to look at you while you're singing, mm. 
The voice yeah. box is the one to go to because right. you, you can, you know, rent a little room. I know uh, there's also baby kitten. You can do that, but I've never been. I hear it's awesome too. Um, so voice box with their private rooms is a solid choice. I don't have a go-to per se, but I do enjoy singing all the small things by Blink-182 because it's friendly. I sing it unironically. I think it's a great song. Um, and everyone could keep up, you know? Mm. I feel like Blink-182 is one of those bands where everyone's like, oh, that band is so dumb. And then you play it and they're just like, you know, like they're all like air guitaring <laughs> with you and you're just like, yeah, I know. I actually ended up at a bar recently that was doing a live band karaoke and <gasps> someone did all the small things with the whole band behind them and it was it was a banger. You can't can't help it. Like you're just yeah. like, ah, oh, duh. Like everyone, and you got to do a little nasally thing, like, oh, mm-hmm. duh. Small yeah. things. You know, what I, I didn't mean? even know I had that voice. <laughs> I you're just like, how am I singing this right? <laughs> um, I just wanted you to know that I also asked Julia Fioni, our producer, this question, and her answer is a real curveball. So I have to tell you what it is. Oh my gosh. Sorry, Julia. I love that she probably thought she said this to me in, in confidence. Uh, her favorite spot is Baby Kin and her go-to song. You're never going to fucking guess this in a minute. Oh, gosh. I, I am. Tell me. Tell me. Tell me. Eminem's 2002 hit Without Me. Oh, Can yeah. Can you imagine <laughs> Julia rapping Eminem? <laughs> it's a date, Julia. We're going. We're going to do it. Oh, my God. She says it's the terrible secret talent of hers being able to rap like Eminem songs. And the, his songs are hard. So rapping in general, I feel like everyone I was like, oh, I love, I'm going to just rap. It's I can't sing. I'm going to rap. It's like, no, girl, breath control. And your Mm-mm. mouth moves right. so much. That's got to be precise. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> thank you, Mel, for that opening question. And if you'd like to submit one, send it over to Portland at citycast.fm. All right. On to the news of the week. Althea, what story caught your eye this week? Yeah, this week I was looking at this announcement from the Multnomah County Chair, Jessica Vega-Peterson. Folks, she's got a four-point plan to address how bad our ambulances are going in the county right now. It's, I mean, the the statistics are are, are a little tough uh, for for AMR, American Medical Response, who does the ambulances. They're only getting uh, two calls within eight minutes, about 60% of the time. Hmm. And they've gotten about $2 million in fines from the county for being so slow that they they haven't paid yet. Uh, so the Multnomah County Chair announced her plan this week, and it's four things that I can, I can list for you. Um, the first is to get into mediation with the ambulance company. Uh, they need to come up with a staffing plan. They don't have enough people to have enough ambulances out there to reach all the calls in time. And if they can't come up with a solution about staffing, then they're going to try to get the $2 million from them. Uh, her second part of her plan is to open the county ambulance service plan two years ahead of schedule. So that's something that every county has to have in the state where they basically tell the state, hey, here's how we're going to respond to emergencies. And so they want to reopen that early so they could potentially make changes. And then points three and four are kind of let's just ask around and see what people should do. But uh, the third part is uh, asking Portland and Gresham fire departments to see if they could help respond to more of those calls. And number four is convene experts and, and see what they think ought to be done about all this. We've been talking about this for a long time. Like it was mm-hmm. at least a year that this has been on the radar. And like, I'm glad that, you know, leaders are taking this seriously and are starting to like make some statements that are public commitments. But um, at, at the same time, if part of this is going to involve roping in the fire department, you know, 
the fire department's facing an $11 million budget deficit too. It's like the fire department doesn't have a bunch of like, you know, spare ambulance parts sitting around that are ready to go into <laughs> right. service. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I just don't understand how fining AMR is helping with the crisis. Like I don't understand the thinking behind it because there is a sh very short supply of EMTs and um, and drivers. There just is. So that's mm -hmm. actually one of the big reasons why they're so slow is they don't have enough people. I mean, what's so sad is whenever we talk about this, I feel like it's hard to differentiate between the company and the people doing the work because the people doing the work are doing the most thankless job. They're getting paid almost yes. nothing and they're so good at it. Like, I, John, you know, I had to go to the hospital. Like, I just randomly yeah. fainted. Yeah. And, like, it was just random. And uh, I had to call an ambulance. And it was AMR, of course. And they were the nicest, like, it, like the people that you would want to see when you're in that position. Yeah. Like, I couldn't imagine a better two, you know, women that were there to, like, make sure I was okay. And they're the ones who are just like, oh, let's – because I was like, I guess I'm fine now. And they're like, oh, we, we're going to take you to the hospital. <laughs> you know, like, it is your right, but, like, oh. You know, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. I was looking back at some of our notes from when we talked about emergency services last year. Um, and, you know, AMR had looked at a policy that would, like, send paramedics back out at the very end of their shift. Like, this was, like, one of the ways they were trying to do it, of just being like, we're going to tack on another run or another couple of runs for you. I mean, this this oh, didn't actually happen because the union was like, what the fuck? <sighs> but, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which, valid, yeah. So, Elthie, I don't know if you mentioned it, but, like, this whole thing that we have with Multnomah County where you need two paramedics uh, instead of just one paramedic, one EMT. And I think that's a big point of contention that they're saying, like, we don't need this. Mm -hmm. But the fire department, quote, I feel like kind of just was like, hey, man, we're here if it's necessary. But this is like everyday stuff. Like we can't go to every 911 call. Like that's another thing. So let me just read this real quick, which is the status of transport ambulance in the city of Portland is critically insufficient, which like that is the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Portland Fire and Rescue encourages Multnomah County EMS to pilot a one EMT and one paramedic staffing model in situations where AMR paramedics need more help. PFNR, you know, would continue to respond co three with lights and sirens to assist. Basically, they're just like, we're here. Our two-person rescues are staffed with a paramedic and carry life-saving equipment to treat patients at any scene. We're here when it's needed. Like, if they came for me... When I passed out, it would have been ridiculous. Like, that's not what is needed. Yeah. I feel like it's just really confusing what the county is trying to do and get out of this company that is basically saying we're at capacity and this is where it is. At a certain point, it's like, should we contract with a different company? Should we start thinking like more creatively about what we have and how we can use stuff rather than just like, I'm going to fine you? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I kind of interpret that to be, I mean, because what they were saying about this mediation is that it's iffy if they'll collect on those fines that they've levied. So I think that it is about the county getting leverage over AMR and trying to get them to adopt strategies that the county's talked about before. Like Jessica Vega-Peterson brought out that AMR could be subcontracting out some of these mm -hmm. things or because there is this paramedic shortage, like you mentioned, but she's held pretty firm on the idea that the two paramedic model is really important and that going to something that you know, the, the one paramedic, one EMT thing that you're talking about is how it goes in Clackamas and Washington County, but they also have all of their fire departments going to all of those calls instead of ones that are just for an ambulance. And Peterson says that that's how we get good outcomes, but then it's like, how are we going to get good outcomes if nobody's going within eight minutes to begin with? So that's yeah. a whole thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I'm not seeing the immediate solution, but Peterson is like very much stressed that, you know, AMR is kind of been sitting on a good bottom line and that, you know, there's the paramedic shortage, but their their proposal to try to get the fire department involved is putting more burden on the taxpayer. And yeah, like John mentioned, the fire department is already up to their eyeballs and everything they can yeah. handle. <laughs> so I was thinking about it. I'm like, okay, it's it's not just like AMR is this perfect company and we're the only city having trouble with them, right? Like AMR has been facing criticism in cities across the country. And there there are a couple other cities that are looking into ditching AMR as a service provider as well. And in Rochester, New York, they had this big research project looking at five years of data on EMS response. And what the city came up with was like a bunch of different alternative plans instead of using AMR. But the one that seemed most feasible, they said, basically involved fleshing out the EMS response in the city itself, you know, of not having an outside contracted service doing this, but like doing it as the city of Rochester. Yes. So like that's one place. But mm-hmm. but again, like the fire department has a budget deficit. So like to bring this in as a city service, then that would become a city problem, you know, mm-hmm. or a county problem, a regional problem. And I do wonder if there's something where it is convenient for politicians to be able to point the finger at the external company oh, exactly. and say they need to fix themselves as opposed to it being a part of a service that regional leadership is responsible because as we know there's enough things that regional leadership is failing <laughs> at <laughs> yeah you make some good points i've always been curious as to why we have these contractors and then it's always like oh these contractors are bad but it doesn't seem like peterson wants to negotiate with their very i think kind of practical asks because you know what what's crazy is that when i called 911 and i had a, it wasn't two paramedics it was one paramedic one emt so I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm in Multnomah County, and I know for a fact it was one paramedic and one, one EMT is because when they put me into the, you know, when they take you in, they were like, where's the paramedic? And then the lady was like, oh, it's me. Do you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, well, I think it might be already be happening is what I'm saying. <laughs> like, yeah. mm. I, I didn't know that. I mean, it was just first. I wouldn't have known yeah. either yeah, had yeah. I not called. <laughs> this was like the most direct reporting I've done. Right, right. <laughs> Claudia, please don't do any more reporting like this. We- <laughs> If you start doing original porting on the Multnomah County jail system, I'll be like, you yeah. got to take a step back. I'm like, <laughs> just get me in there. Um, yeah, no, sorry, Ethi, what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say, I found it interesting to figure out what the difference between a paramedic and an EMT is, because I think kind of like in conversation, I've used them interchangeably. But it's interesting what the difference is where like a paramedic is basically an EMT with more training after some some cursory research. Mm-hmm. Here's an important difference. Uh, paramedics can perform tracheotomies. EMTs are not allowed to do that. So in all of those movies where somebody's choking on a plane and they got to get the ballpoint pen out, you need a paramedic for that. Um, but they can also do some more like advanced stuff than than EMTs can who are kind of more on the, the basic life-saving kind of thing. Well, I, I do want to say that um, no matter what, I don't know if people know this, but most of the health insurance doesn't cover whatever your ambulance is in your county. Did you guys know that? So our insurance could 100% cover ambulance rides, but they'll be like, AMR, oh, they're out of network. Sorry, you're going to have to pay. What? <laughs> yeah, because I happen to pay. <laughs> <laughs> the American healthcare system is a sham. <laughs> oh, God. I think the, the fifth the fifth point in Peterson's plan was never get sick. Yeah. Yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> 
Well, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, uh, more yelling and more headlines of the week. Hey, it's John from CityCast Portland. Let's face it, sometimes bad stuff happens. A serious injury, a catastrophic accident, even a wrongful death. It can really turn your world upside down. And when it does, you deserve unwavering support from a dedicated team. Yeah, you need a lawyer. Diamore Law Group has over 30 years of experience protecting the rights of Oregonians. Their team of skilled attorneys, led by the renowned trial lawyer Tom Diamore, will work tirelessly to make sure your voice is heard and your rights are protected. Here's what one of his clients said. Tom fights for his clients from the first day they meet him through the last day of trial. So if you need help holding those responsible for your injuries accountable, contact Diamore Law Group at 503-222-6333 or visit diamorelaw.com to schedule a free consultation. They're committed to fighting for the justice and compensation you deserve right here in Portland. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So, John, what are you looking at this week? Yeah, this story comes from Jayadi Ramakrishnan over at The Oregonian, uh, taking a look at Portland Public Schools headquarters and a new agreement to pass it on to Albina Vision Trust. Uh, The school board voted this week to sell the district's old headquarters to this nonprofit. Um, If you remember, Albina Vision Trust is really trying to redevelop Lower Albina, uh, this neighborhood that had been the historic home of the black community. Um, And this parcel of land, which had been the PPS headquarters, has really been at the center of these conversations. It's kind of like that nothing zone just north of the Broadway Bridge on the Mm -hmm. east side of the Willamette. I mean, obviously people work there, but from the street, it's just this area where it feels like there isn't a lot going on. And the idea of this uh, group finally getting closer to having permission to redevelop that land is really, really exciting. And the thing that really like struck me about this is this nonprofit, it sounds like they're basically like facilitating this whole thing for the school district, right? They're the ones that are figuring out how to make all of this happen, you know, where the district has known for a long time that they wanted to offload this parcel and Albina Vision Trust is coming in and being like, let me take your hand, honey. Like, let me let me walk you through the process. We're going to make this real easy for you. And the whole idea is like kind of taking advantage of the Portland real estate market, which is sort of screwed right now. At least commercial real estate is screwed because of like all the uh, vacancies since the pandemic. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot more intermediary steps that need to happen before this becomes a reality. But I think it's just a really cool project. One of the first things when I read through and I got the same impression you did, John, and I was just like, it's so sad to know that a nonprofit seems to have more money than our Portland school district. (laughs) That was the first. I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) Or it's just better at shopping, you know? Yeah, and just better at doing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
is able to come up with a plan. Yeah, is able to come up with a plan. You're right. That is like the center. Oh my god! Because this has been a long process for the school district. Like they've just been, you know, like him and Holland about this for a long time. It's been like we need to figure something out about this building. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of funny that it was a nonprofit, and they're just like, and don't worry, we'll buy our new building. Yeah. yeah. We're going to negotiate that price. <laughs> they're they're like acting as real estate agents, kind of. They're like, we got this whole portfolio. We're going to take you on the walkthrough. Exactly. Um, they Literally, they did it. You know, they, they worked with Eco Northwest to do a study and found 82 available suitable buildings that like, I mean, not every single one of those is going to be perfect, but like potential sites yeah. um, where the district could move their their HQ. Because, I mean, one of the articles I read says it's basically common knowledge that like this building is just too big. Like <laughs> this, these facilities are like way too expansive for what the school system needs right now. Yeah. And, and it's like a terrible building that's burning a hole in the pocket of the school district, which I no. thought was was really interesting. So, I mean, it's it's cool to see. Yeah, I don't know if like saying that the stars align because it is, you know, the, it is the work of a lot of people, but there's also like market forces that are now like making this happen. Mm-hmm. Tear down this terrible building, get PPS into something cool, probably in the downtown area and, you know, writing historic wrongs, no less. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, yeah. it just feels like so much like a win-win. Can I give you another piece of direct reporting? <laughs> <laughs> so I've actually been in that building that uh, the school district is in because I used to work very close by. And for some, I forget, but we had a meeting there. We just kind of walked over and that building is so empty. Like there are people there, but it is like a ghost town in there. Like I was like, oh, is this, is, is today a day off? They're like, nope. <laughs> so I'm just saying it's a lot of building yeah. for not much going on. One one thing I did think was interesting was in Jayati's article, she pointed out that an electrician with the district spoke at one of the meetings and kind of pointed out like, yeah, there's a lot of maintenance workers and like people who do these sort of services that keep the school district humming that work out of this space. So even if the building isn't like actually at capacity, like we need to make super, super sure that these people have interim space ready to go because, you know, mm-hmm. if like the electricians and plumber of PPS suddenly had no home for an extended period of time, I feel like I could totally imagine that oversight happening of just yeah. being like, sorry, we forgot to make a plumbing shop. Uh, that could be a really bad thing. I'm just excited to see what the Albina Vision Trust yeah. has planned for for this space. And that's the other part, like to see this project moving forward, this redevelopment of this neighborhood. Um, I feel like it's something that we've been talking about for a couple years, but this could be the land acquisition that sort of gets things moving. Yeah. I don't know if you guys saw that quote. It like broke my heart a little. Uh, Sharon Gary Smith, a lifelong Portland resident and former president of the city's NWACP chapter. Because if, if you're listening to this and you're not understanding why it's so significant, is that whole area was a very historically black neighborhood and it was raised. It was absolutely raised for the legacy health manual and the freeway. And so yeah. when when you go to it now, it just it's so awkward. It's like that whole freeway underpass was a neighborhood. Yeah. Um, so this woman basically was like, "Hey, this is a second time in the last twenty years I've entered this building because it's sitting on my parents' land." Yeah, and it was just like, "Oh, yeah," and like yeah. literally, literally, like in another Oregonian article, she talks about how like her family was there in like the late fifties, early sixties, and they thought about fighting this development project, Mm -hmm. but eventually decided that they just couldn't, you know. So they were forced out of their home and, like, 
Yeah, I mean, this is this is still really recent history. There's a lot of people that are still living with the pain and, and dislocation. Like, this isn't something that happened. I mean, I guess you could say it happened a generation ago, but those people are still here. Mm-hmm. And it's not just that, it's the effects, you know. All of that lost wealth. But um, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad they're getting that space back. And I hope I'm really, I'm really like genuinely excited to see what they're going to do. Yeah. Well, thank you, John. Um, yeah. Before I jump into my story, I just wanted to give a quick update. You know, we tape these uh, the day before that you hear them. We're taping right now, Thursday morning. And we just got some breaking news uh, that the Oregon Democrats uh, have agreed to enact stiffer uh, criminal penalties for drug possession than they initially planned. That was always on the dock. I, I believe it was like House Bill 4002. And if you're wondering what's going on, I mean, they were trying to essentially amend Measure 110, uh, which decriminalized pretty much all drugs. Um, but they were negotiating back and forth with the Republicans with like how many days. And so they were trying to say like, OK, you know, if you're caught with small amounts of drugs like fentanyl, meth or heroin, you have to go to jail for 30 days. But now they're saying it's going to be 180 days. This hasn't been voted on yet, you guys. It's just what they're talking about. But maybe by the time we we air this, it might be voted on. But the thing that I'm also just like, oh, is that it weakens the provision that would have required police to offer to connect people uh, to services. And that was the whole point of Measure 110 was like, hey, let's stop criminalizing and like actually get them to services. What wasn't happening was that part. So I feel like we're just going back. It did seem like... It was inevitable that something was going to make it through this legislative session. Um, According to some reporting I'm reading from uh, Dirk Vanderhart at OPB, it looks like even though this hasn't gone up for a vote, leaders are saying that they're confident they have the votes to get it through. I mean, I agree something needs to happen, but going back to a plan that wasn't working, especially when they're just like, oh, by the way, we don't have any room in the jails. No room in the jails. No public defenders. (laughs) Let's get more cops. Do we have enough of them? People can't seem to agree. No. (laughs) I'm sorry. So if you get caught uh, with small amounts of drugs, you have to become an EMT driver. Okay, that's something. You can get them in the ambulances. (laughs) Get about there helping people in the community. I mean, it's a surefire plan. You have to perform CPR. I mean, oh. it seems like the only solution. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm sure more will come, more will develop. But my story this week uh, actually comes from Willamette Week's Sophie uh, Houdingen Peel. She reported that there is a talk. <laughs> Did you know about that, Althea? No, please. Whenever she gets a text, she can't help it. She'll be like, Houdingen. <laughs> I've started doing it, too. Thank you, Sophie. (laughs) I know. She's like, don't start. You won't be able to stop. (laughs) Anyhow, she reported that there is talk that former Portland Mayor Sam Adams is preparing to run for a seat on the Multnomah County Board of Commissioners because the county board clearly doesn't have enough drama. Also, he's hired an attorney to contest the details of his abrupt uh, departure from City Hall last year. So it's like a little double whammy. And if you're new around here, Sam Adams served as Portland mayor from 2009 to 2013, and he was generally liked. He was an openly gay guy, uh, which was a pretty big deal at the time, 2009's crazy year. Uh, And he could have easily still been our mayor, honestly, if he hadn't got caught up in a scandal involving an 18-year-old intern by the name of Bo Breedlove. And there was also unsubstantiated implications that they had started their sexual relationship while Bo was only 17. And again, not confirmed all rumors, but yeah, all that tanked him. 
And since then, he's worked at nonprofits in D.C., but he came back in 2020 when he tried to run unsuccessfully for city council. And then a year later, Mayor Ted Wheeler was like, hey, man, come here, top aide. Mm -hmm. He was in city hall for up until last year. And let me tell you what, what happened is that the two had a big falling out and Adam left. But both parties have two different reasons for his departure. Wheeler told the press he forced Adam to resign after receiving multiple reports that he was bullying women at City Hall. And Adams stated that he resigned on his own accord because of ongoing health issues. And now that Adams is aiming for that county seat, he knows he's got a pretty black mark on his record being labeled a bully of women and also someone who got fired. So that's where his new attorney comes in. And Adam alleges that Wheeler's office purposefully failed to disclose an email to press that showed Wheeler signing off on Adams' drafted resignation letter three days before Wheeler told the newspaper that he forced Adams to resign. And again, this was a draft letter, and Wheeler was just like, great, thank you. You know, So now Adams is trying to get that on paper because the email does exist, and the timeline Adams is referencing is correct. He's convinced that this will improve his chances of winning the county seat. So what do you guys think? I mean, I think it is undeniable that Adams is a skilled political operator. He knows how Portland works. He's been around in enough capacities. But this whole thing on the back and forth with Wheeler about, like, whether he was fired versus whether he quit, like, to me, it just seems like such a sideshow because, like, regardless of whether he quit or was fired first, like, we do have documentation that people beyond the mayor who have worked with Adams, mm -hmm. have said, you know, um, I'm quoting from, I believe this is a Willamette Week article, uh, Adams' behavior is condescending, unprofessional, and so rude that she left the meeting in tears. That was the deputy city attorney, right? Like, mm -hmm. there are documented instances where, like, people credibly say, like, he was a real jerk to me, you know? Um, so I don't quite understand what he's trying to achieve by, like, getting in this little tit-for-tat with Mayor Wheeler. I have direct reporting. Again? <laughs> I'm not joking. I am just reporting. I forgot about Claudia this. Claudia was the email. <laughs> I was the email that was sent. No. Okay, the, you guys, again, this happened to me. It involved Sam Adams, and we were at a party, a mutual friend's party, and he rented Frosé machines. And so I hadn't seen this particular friend of mine, Corey, in a while. And so while I was getting frozen, he's like, hey, what's going on? We were talking like, oh, I, you know, he's this Alaskan photographer, fisherman. He was telling me what he was doing. And I was slowly pouring. And behind me was Sam Adams going, oh, can you guys move? <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, so sorry. I'm so sorry. Here's your free frosé. Let's not let you wait one moment. Yeah, maybe we were chatty Cathy's in front of the frosé machine, but it was just so funny because we're just like, dude, just it's a party. Calm down. It's free frosé. You want mine? But there were different ways that you could go about being like, hey, man, can I? I would have been like, oh, I'm going to scooch. I'm just going to scooch right. You know what I mean? Yeah. There were different options that man had at that moment. <laughs> I, I do think it's interesting. I mean, and again, we should say that this is like not officially confirmed. Willamette Week reached out to Adams and he didn't officially confirm that he's running for the county seat. But, um, you know, when the council expanded, I feel like our in-joke was like, oh, cool. So Sam Adams is going to run for city council again. Like, yeah. it just sort of felt like a foregone conclusion that he was going to be running for city council. And the fact that it looks like right now he's going in a different direction and running for a county office instead of a city office. Um, I think it's interesting. Uh, my thoughts on this. Number one, Portland is a small town. 
Mm-hmm. Sometimes we forget this. You never know what drink machine you might find an elected <laughs> official by. It's true. I can see the headline now, Adam's campaign marred by Frosé scandal. <laughs> um, I am kind of surprised. I mean, surprised and not surprised that Sam Adams is coming back. I think he has a certain amount of fans, but he's also been around Portland for a long time. Even before he was mayor, he worked pretty high up in Mayor Vera Katz's office as well. And you know, we're a city with a lot of long-standing problems, and he's been around for a lot of those problems. And I think, you know, even if you don't care too much about the scandals, he's got his fingerprints all over a bunch of controversial city policies, including those mass homeless encampments, I feel like is mm-hmm. is worth mentioning as well. Yes. Okay, so here's a curveball. In this same article, it was revealed that Willamette Week did obtain Adam's resignation email in early February 2023, but it was in response to like a subsequent records request. So that didn't come until after the story broke, meaning they didn't get Adam's resignation email until like after Wheeler said, hey, we fired him and he's a bully and all that. So that's also fueling Adam wanting to get that timeline straight because that could also prove that City Hall was purposefully trying to create their own timeline and burying this email. So no matter what, this is all shady. But I just don't see a scenario where, like, Adams comes out of this smelling like roses and frosé. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, I remember, like, the week that his resignation broke and everybody was like, Sam Adams is resigning? Yeah. Of his mm-hmm. own, he's going to the coast to get fresh air? I know. It's just, there's no way. Everybody was like, sure, that's what's happening. Good for him, I guess. We'll see what, what it's actually about, you know? It wasn't until a week later that Wheeler was like, yeah, he was bullying people. And so he had to force him to quit. Yeah. I'm just curious why Willamette Week chose to be like, nah, not worth mentioning the timeline that the mayor is proposing. (laughs) It's not fully correct. You know, uh, once they did receive those, all I could think is like, did they not see it? You know, like, or were they just like, hmm, it's a draft. And also like, this doesn't negate the fact that there is actual documentation, as John mentioned, that he was being investigated, that there were actual cases of people being like, we can't work with him, you know? Right. I mean, I think in terms of scope of like, what is the most important thing for readers to walk away with? I feel like it's that, hey, there's all these allegations of him bullying people. And I think it could also be the case that, you know, regardless of when the mayor asked for his resignation, he may have seen what was coming and mm-hmm. wanted to be the one to get out there first and say, no, 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 I, I resign, I resign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? yeah. It, it, that's sort of how I read it, too, is a, like, you can't fire me, I quit. I know. <laughs> and it's uh, it's just sad. I'm sorry. It's just all of this is just like, oh, guys, come on. <laughs> um, well, yeah, that was my story. Um, I can't believe I direct reporting all three. That has to be like a record for me. Triple crown. Oh, my God. <laughs> if you walk away from anything from that story, aside from what Althea said, also just know, do not stand in front of Sam Adams when he is trying to get a free frosé. No, are you kidding me? That is like any political party I'm going to from now on. I'm just camping out at the Frosé machine. See how kind people are. See what happens. (laughs) Well, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Althea. Thank you, John, for hanging out with me and, and talking through the news of the week. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this has been fun. Thanks, Claudia. 
That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. Thank you so much for listening. Our executive producer is John Atariani. Our producers this week were Julia Fioni, Natalie Rivera, AKL Muman, and Dylan Brogan. Our newsletter editors were Rachel Monahan and Andrea Salenzi. And our host is me, Claudia Meza. Original music by Jenny Conley and Stephen Drizos. Additional music by Epidemic Sound and All the Kimonos. We'll be back Monday morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's.